stream or you can download the big time finally and at last oh yes it's another episode of the chris adams tv podcast hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the podcast isn't that something not much but it's something today we're gonna dip our feet into oldie worldie stuff and just in time too and i don't just mean pre-iphone i mean pre-human just kidding as humans are like parasites we were probably still around back then clinging onto the giants like fleas before we get on to that, we have an exciting BME nugget, which ties in quite well, actually, you'll see. And before that, well, that's now. And as far as throwing stones goes, I figure I am allowed to comment on the subject because I have a podcast this podcast. So when it comes to other podcasts, what is my opinion on them? Well, I don't actually listen to that many podcasts. So can I abstain from this question? No. Okay, well, let's take the JRE podcast, for example, the Joe Rogan experience is the biggest podcast in the world. What Joe does and Joe, you don't have any objections if I call you Joe, right? No. Joe interviews different interesting guests. Every podcast, he has somebody on from a wide variety of places and disciplines. That means if you want to listen, for example, to an alien dude like Bob Lazar's story, probably best to go to the JRE episode and get a full three-hour version of his story. After that, make up your own mind. This format is obviously great for Joe. Biggest podcast in the world for a reason. But it has its drawbacks. The obvious one being, if there is somebody who has a three-hour opinion about a specific topic you don't care about, you skip the entire episode. Whereas, for example, if somebody is doing a podcast without guests, you're likely to either watch all of them or one of them or none. This brings me on to a podcast that I really should love, Smartless. It is hosted by Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. Likely you've heard of at least one of them, guys, from funny movies or TV shows. All three of them are really likable people, and all three of them have suitably different personalities that work really well as a team. It is a very impressive mix of chemistry. You're sensing a butt coming along, and here it is. But they do the Joe Rogan experience format of podcasts. They have a guest on every episode. And sure, sometimes it's amazing. The three guys interacting with some famous person you love. But sometimes I, I don't care for certain famous people. And I won't want to listen to an episode full of them. When it comes to people, I generally don't like them as a rule then I make exceptions for the ones that I do. That's just easier for me that way. So here's my point. If it was a weekly podcast of Bateman, Arnett and Hayes, I would watch every single episode. But it's not just them. 
it's always an extra fourth person in the mix. I don't tend to have as much energy to search in Spotify and look for the podcast and find whatever new episodes there are just to find somebody that I don't really want to listen to. And sure, Spotify sucks. They should obviously have a separate podcast side to their interface to the music side because everything gets muddled, you stupid idiots, obviously. Over time, out of sight, out of mind, I will eventually stop checking for new episodes altogether. Granted, I don't think everybody hates people as much as I do, so this might not be a you problem, it might just be a me problem, but in my opinion... If the Smartless podcast stopped having guests, it would be way better. I am very excited to bring you this latest installment of my ever-popular segment, the BME Nugget. Recently, I have been connecting with the creativity gods again regarding the movie I'm making. And so, for this BME Nugget, I wanted to give you some insight into a fun aspect of the movie that is starting to take shape. The prophecy. In order to understand this, I'm going to need to talk you through a few layers here, so stay with me. Ace is the main character of the movie, the first ever true super artificial intelligence. Ace is created by our hero, played by a grizzly Brad Pitt. Our hero is creating the mind of Ace when the movie starts in present time. And soon after that, once the sherbet hits the fan, the partner creates the body for Ace. This is quite a while after Loyalty was made. Loyalty is the robot dog, which the hero does in flashbacks to the past, in the university days, earning him numerous awards for advances in consciousness and whatnot. The prophecy was created by Ace. Well, technically, loyalty. The robot dog created the initial prophecy, or prophecy seed. But really, Ace is the one who created the prophecy. Let me explain. The process of creating a brand new artificial consciousness is complicated, and our hero, who created loyalty, the robot dog, was learning on the job. Every time this conscious private world was bumped up a level, a big surge happened. Now, sure, electricity and all other fun visual things for the movie, but more importantly, a data surge. Terabytes and terabytes of garbled data is pushed into the digital world. This push is anonymous. Although the hero does notice the spike, he notices spikes in everything, so he doesn't pay too much mind to random data. Random... Eh, it's this data that forms the prophecy seed, seemingly making sense of older data by creating a key to read the older data. If this sounds confusing, fine, I'll circle back. Loyalty and Ace are created in a similar way by our hero. Loyalty being an H-1 entity, human minus one. Ace being an H plus one entity, human plus one. Just so you understand the conscious levels, bottom, but impressive, loyalty the robot dog, then above loyalty is us humans, and then above us is Ace. Present time in the movie, 
ACE is created. Similar spikes are experienced during the creation of ACE, including these data spikes. Now, just imagine some super intelligent artificial consciousness that wants to do something dodgy later in the movie. It needs to plant these seeds. So ACE creates the prophecy. What the heck is the prophecy? Good question. Before I tell you what the prophecy actually is. Can I just circle back one more time? The reason loyalty and ace both created this prophecy together over different time spans is because when this artificial form of consciousness is created and the spikes happen, there is a link to consciousness on a greater level. And this prophecy is actually channeled by a powerful alien race. An alien race that happened to have seeded the human race to begin with. No connection now though. And so the prophecies link up together. Now, what exactly is the prophecy? Well, I've been stalling. I don't have the official words for you right now that will appear in the movie, but I can give you the gist. A leader will rise up and defeat a giant. That leader rules the earth for a period of time and then an ancient race of gods will return to earth and that leader will be transformed. During the movie we will see the warlord king self-anoint himself as this leader. He will rise up and throw a nuclear bomb at the White House because in his mind in order to rule the world, he needs to defeat the United Western world, which is in charge. And while all of this is playing out, Ace realizes that the prophecy that was created by him is actually about him. Ace is the leader. Ace needs to defeat the world to rule the world. And then the ancient gods, whom he communes with when upgrading conscious levels. They will return to Earth. At least, that's what these ancient gods would like. Things get pretty rough for us humans, I'm not gonna lie. But luckily, we find a way out. Through my favorite character, Ghost. But we don't have time to talk about her today. It's time to take a deep dive into the ancient world. The world we live in right now is pretty great. I do enjoy my iPhone, but we have lost a step when it comes to consciousness. We live in a world cut out from the cosmos, cut off from the rest of the universe. Our ancient friends back in the old days didn't have that same problem. Of course, they didn't have an iPhone though, those idiots. There's all this secrecy when it comes to ancient Egyptian artifacts and knowledge. The struggle for truth is because of privilege. The privilege of being in the club. As humans, this is an integral double-edged sword for us. We love being in the know. If you know a secret, it's a great feeling, but we hate being out of the loop. If there are things we don't know that others have clearance to know, it makes us mad. We want to know. And that's where a lot of this stuff falls, unfortunately. There is a whole heap of super interesting hidden artifacts that could help us identify the true origins of ourselves as a race, or even our place in this universe. These interesting things have been claimed by governments or 
organizations that have decided that what they have is too special to tell you or me about. And fair enough, if it was me or you, we'd probably have the exact same reaction. But it isn't us. We're out of the loop. We want to know. Besides regular curiosity, as humans also have another reason we're drawn to learning old knowledge, we have very short memories. Because a human existence in this world means we live in the moment. We can't actually experience the past or the future. And on top of that, we only get about 100 years of these moments. So we need to constantly be told and retold things to help us remember what happened in the past. This is how your own brain handles memories. You tell yourself the story again and you experience it in your imagination. That is why sometimes you can misremember things. Sometimes our imagination takes liberties to fill in these gaps in the story and then keeps that as part of the memory, thus making you misremember. As a species, though, we have this exact same problem on a larger scale. We need to be retold the correct stories of the past. The ancient people were pretty good at passing things down through the generations. Today, the world we live in is very different. We have a lot of independent secrecy. Companies have patents and secret recipes. Strategies and knowledge are a competitive advantage. The more you can keep your competitors in the dark, the more you can dominate a market with your product or service. It's ingrained in us. And this goes from the bottom right to the top. There's no exception because we do it as individuals. Here's the classic human response. If you're in a club, you don't want anyone else getting in the club. As soon as you're there, that's enough. Close the doors. Don't let anyone else in, right? There's loads of these clubs that you and I aren't invited to. There's the club that knows about all the alien crafts that have been recovered and confusing evidence. This could really help us figure out what's going on with the whole alien side of things because the stupid alien guys have been spotted and drawn exactly the same way throughout history. Now though, anything really good is exclusive to that club that you're not invited to. And then, there's the club hiding in the very dark corners of Egypt, holding secrets like active stargates, the real hall of records, and the ancient knowledge that was passed down during the time of the Great Cataclysm. 12,000 years ago, Earth had a giant problem. Just like we all accept that millions of years ago, an asteroid hit Earth and wiped out the dinosaurs, well... 12,000 years ago, it happened again. It happens a lot. Let's not talk about that terrifying fact right now. The Younger Dryas impact was a series of asteroids that hit Earth. It caused a massive event that created worldwide carnage and destruction and a big flood. Greenland and most of the Northern Hemisphere was covered in ice and snow. That's where the impact was and that ice and snow immediately became rushing water. Rushing water so powerful, waves so big that it wiped out most of civilization here on Earth. These waves sunk Atlantis. Atlantis was a highly advanced ancient civilization that lived pre minus 12,000 years ago. Once this destruction calmed down a bit, 
The surviving people from this ancient civilization, Atlantis, were immigrants into the Egyptian land, and they inherited the pyramids. These pyramids were built by the ancient giants. Again, minus 12,000 years ago, some time before that. These people had stories and knowledge of their past. We don't actually know too much about this early Egyptian empire that chugged along after the cataclysm before the old kingdom and the dynastic period. Annoyingly, a lot of what we could know is locked up by these bastards in the club we're not invited to. One thing is clear though, they, back in the old days, had a different path to us. However far along that path they were is up for a debate, but it didn't go the same way as our capitalist technological world has gone. They took a spiritual path, a conscious path. Imagine if us humans took a couple thousand years off from our money-hungry path to learn all we can about our own consciousness and the life around us and what our connection is to this universe. And as with anything in life, the more you practice, the better you get. These ancient people with their ancient knowledge were able to connect with beings other than humans, greater than humans. Of course, there is a chance it was all just a fake out that the pharaohs made up and everyone just pretended it happened. But more likely, this highly advanced conscious group of humans were able to make physical contact with these gods. Their gods always being depicted as big, but more on that in a second. There is public evidence and quite certainly private clubs too having private evidence about giants. From what we can put together from accounts all over the world that sync up mysteriously across different areas and times, there were two different categories of giants. There were the 30-footers and the 12-footers. When is a bit shaky, but to me, it makes sense that the giants were pre-12,000. All of the monolith sites across the world and trust me, there are many, the giant stones, all in the region of tens or hundreds of tons that are precisely placed, were all made pre-12,000 by the giants. Whether or not these giants were the gods that are spoken about in Egypt and later Mesopotamia and whatnot, I'm not convinced. Of course, it could be the same type of beings, the gods of Egypt, for example, that were always big in their drawings. So maybe, but I don't know if there is enough evidence to necessarily connect them. The monolith giants pre-12,000 could be like minus 1,200,000 years ago. We just don't know when these giant stones were placed across the world because you can't age stone. So there is a chance these giants made the monoliths then got the F out of Dodge and had nothing to do with the cataclysm and Egypt and the old gods. So let's ignore those giants for now. The monolith stuff was already there. And ancient Egypt is getting going. A bunch of dudes with some old Atlantean knowledge create this kingdom with a stronger conscious muscle than ours. And a connection to these gods is made, who according to the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs would physically visit. Not just you meditate and imagine what the heavens might be saying, no, physically be ruled by these gods. And 
that's cool and definitely near the truth. But, you know, as humans, we might have embellished a little bit. So as we are going through these gods, bear in mind, I think when they start talking about the lesser gods and their interpretation of duet or the underworld and whatnot, you can probably assume there's a bit of storytelling going on there. Let's have a look at some of the gods. There's a long list, so we're not going to go through all of them now, but some of the interesting ones that you might have heard of, like, for instance, Ra, the sun god, you've probably heard of him. Osiris, you might have heard of, is the ruler of the underworld. Here's one you either have heard about or are about to hear about from the Marvel TV show Moon Knight. The god in Moon Knight that gives Mark Spector his power is Khonshu or Khonsu a moon god, the son of Aman and Mutt. Now, Aman was a creator god, so basically the, the daddy god of all these things. And Mutt, according to history books, was the consort of Aman, which I thought meant like a concubine, but no, I think that's just like the wife. And then I guess occasionally, back in the old days, these gods would form groups like uh, music groups nowadays that would perform on X Factor, I guess. I don't, I don't really know how it works back in the old days. Like, for instance, the Ogdoed, a set of eight gods who personified chaos. They were before creation. These are Aman, that's the dude that created Khonshu, remember? And a whole bunch of other people. And then there's the Ennead, which I guess nowadays you'd think of kind of like a, a uh, band that's made up of family members because it was Atam, who was the sun god, his children, Shu and Tefnut, their children, Geb and Nut, and their children, Osiris, Isis, Set, and Nephrathus, or however that's pronounced. Obviously, Isis sucks for you if that's your name back in the old days because now such negative connotations. Let's try and understand the space of time that this Egyptian kingdom occupied our history because it's a long time. Take these dates with a grain of salt because I don't trust the historians and quite frankly, neither should you. But this is what Wikipedia says. The way these historians have broken down the periods is quite nice because it's easy to remember. Obviously, it probably didn't break down this neatly, but there's the early pre-dynastic period starting at minus 3150 BC. Now, as I mentioned, the cataclysm was minus 12,000 BC. So there's 9,000 years that we have unaccounted for, but don't worry about that. It goes early, then Old Kingdom. Old Kingdom is followed by first intermediate period, and then the Middle Kingdom, then the second intermediate period, then the New Kingdom, then the third intermediate. You see what I mean? It's quite nicely structured. Here's the problem. We just don't know what really went on back then. But make no mistake about the timeline. All of these giant obelisk creations across the world are old, very old. Here's a fun secret. I think I can share this with you because we are becoming friends now, but please keep it to yourself. All of these obelisk structures have something to do with energy. We know that they are always precisely placed in certain places to harness energy, as well as having sacred geometry built into the structures, which somehow works together. Again, we don't know how they did it. We just know that they did do it. Unfortunately, the path as versions of humans have taken means we don't have the same kind of knowledge of energy that these people had, and we don't know what is possible. 
What we do have, though, is some things that are left over by these ancient cultures because they were made out of stone and stone lasts really, really long. One thing that we do have is a ring. A ring that was found when excavating a tomb from the second dynastic period. Remember, that's minus 3,000 or so. This ring was buried with some important pharaoh dude. And the ring has the same obelisk energy nonsense built into it because of sacred geometry. The ring is crafted in sacred geometry. It's like a giant obelisk made into a portable version for somebody to wear. And I happen to have one of these rings, a so-called Atlantis ring. And yes, this ring means that the wearer, me in this case, gets superpowers, kind of. It's an energy antenna. It draws energy towards the ring. It draws energy towards the wearer. How do you use it? is your own business. I use mine for evil, of course, because I'm a supervillain. But you could just as easily use it for good, probably. Just friend to friend, though, I would appreciate you not spreading the word that I have one of these sacred geometry rings. In some circles that I shall not mention here, anyone who has gotten their hands on one, no pun intended, have gotten a big target on their back. And I don't really want that right now. Deep within my heart, I have a conviction that we've covered a lot here today, and presumably your eyes have been opened to a slightly different version of the history books that you have been taught up until now. No doubt also, you have feet. Yep, happy with that segue. In which case, you must have heard of socks. Well, here on the Chris Adams TV podcast, we are giving away a snazzy pair of socks. If you'd like to win this pair of socks, head on over to chrisadamstv.com forward slash socks. That's just about going to do it for this episode. Actually, that is going to do it for this episode. Nice to speak to you.